He was personally called by Jesus. Jesus told him that he would be one of those who would change the world. And he loved Jesus with all his heart. He saw things, miraculous things, wondrous things that even many of the other nine disciples were not allowed to see. He was deeply loyal, courageous, and he was very strong. Jesus even called him a rock. He walked on water. Hey, do you hear what I just said? He walked on water. He saw Elijah and Moses with his own eyes. I said, he saw Bible people <laughs> who had been gone for hundreds of years with his own eyes, and he heard the voice of the living God on top of a mountain. So no wonder he pledged to Jesus a loyalty that would exceed all the other disciples. No wonder, in his mind, he even had such confidence at times to take his liberties and correct the Lord. Yet, Simon Peter was about to enter into a time of crisis and spiritual war like he'd never experienced. And he wasn't ready. This message is a word of warning from a humbled servant, Simon Peter. A warning that we should wisely heed. We should take into our heart and keep it there. This message is a warning for the strong believer, the loyal believer, the fruitful one. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Peter's denial is mentioned in all four Gospels. Imagine being Peter. You have to tell him four times. As Spurgeon said about Peter's denial, why? Why, think you, is this record thus given four times? Is it not in order that we should give it fourfold attention? It's my hope that you and I will take this question very soberly and very seriously this morning and then carry it out of here and onward into 2020. And here is the question. Is my prayer altar battle ready? Would you stand with me for the reading of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Jesus is saying this. Read it out loud with me. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit's ministry would go through this place with power, with great, great conviction. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to the strong, the faithful, the loyal, the victorious warrior, and speak to all of our lives today about this warning from a humbled servant of God. We ask you, O oh Lord, that you'd open the ears of our understanding and our eyes to see and hear 
what you're about to say to all of us. I ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, that the enemy would have no ground here, there would be no distractions, and that we would be able to really listen to the voice of the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Jesus gave a loving warning, and it was to inform Simon about what was coming. And in it, there was a hope that Simon would listen to the warning and get to the altar. He called him by name twice, Simon, Simon. He said it twice, and then he said, Satan himself, not a demon, Satan himself has asked permission, and it's been granted. Think of that. But here's a good thing about that. Satan has to ask permission to do anything against any of us. Interesting, though, God gave him permission, but God was still in control. But we have to cooperate. We have to cooperate with God. Jesus' next two words, uh, next words in verses 32, uh, will, will become treasured by Simon, where he says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. I don't think he got that then, but it would become very precious to him after what happens to him. This is a great thing to know. But at that moment, Simon is not capable pre-attack to be humble enough, sober enough to respond correctly to what Jesus warned him about. The water walker, the water walker is caught in the emotion of this new unwelcomed news given by his master regarding what they are about to do to Jesus and to him and to them. Jesus said the dark prince of the world was coming for him and for them. The great fisherman has no room to let that grip him, even though the Lord is telling him that. Jesus has never told him a lie. He's never spoken exaggerated inaccuracies, but in his response, Simon shows a sincerity, and Simon shows a commitment. Simon shows a true loyalty to the Lord, but he's basing it on his past experiences, his own strength, and his self-reliance. Look what he says in verse 33. But Simon replies, Lord, I am ready to go. I've been in meetings with people before where the Lord really worked and stuff, and there was a great thing, and then I've had a friend or somebody around and go, the devil better watch out now. And I thought, you better watch out now. I heard a man say one time, I don't fast in order to gain victory. I fast after I've experienced one. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Jesus then tells all of them that they're about to enter into new territory, that something was about to happen over the next few hours and days that would be of greater intensity of a spiritual attack, a warfare they've never known before. Now, this is a very mysterious part of of this passage, and I, I frankly have to tell you, I don't have the accurate explanation. I'm just going to tell you what I think. 
In some mysterious way, Jesus is telling them that the way they've been protected for the last three years would not quite be as effective in the physical over the next hours and days. And why do I say that? Again, I'm not saying that's a doctrine. Don't go start a church on this. But I'm just telling you this is a very mysterious thing. Jesus says this. Then, verse 35, then, verse 35, then, ver- then, then, Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing. In other words, remember we were walking this thing out. you like, I'm with you. I'm doing this. Look what he says. He said to them, but now, everybody say, but now. But now, something's going to happen right now. But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your coat and buy one. Who said Jesus? That'd be like in today's world, he would say, if you don't have a Glock, I mean, because something for that, I don't, you figure it out. I don't know the answer to that. What the point is, there's a now going on where the prince of darkness has been given permission and they're not ready. And he says, it's biblical. In verse 37, it is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Okay? So then they leave the upper room and they go to the Gethsemane. And they're in the... Now, now let's go with them. Now they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. They've walked across the Kidron Valley and into the place that Judas knows so well and is certain they will be there. The place where Judas and John adds a part and says, it was at this time that Satan entered into Judas. Okay? It was at this time that Judas would lead, lead, listen, would lead the temple guards and the priests to do in the name of God, what they thought, the work of the devil. Things will get really mysterious and crazy in your Christian life when people in the name of God come against you to do the devil's work and God doesn't get you out of it. So what do you do? Here's what Jesus did. Jesus went into the trenches. We know the story. We're going to read about it. He prays. He wraps himself spiritually around the four horns of that bronze altar that was in the temple in the tent of meeting, the altar where where the priest gets no fat back from the sacrifice, all of it's consumed. This is what I call the secret place of the Most High God. Verse 40, On reaching the place, Jesus said to them, the water walker, the inner circle of three that saw Jairus' daughter raised from the dead and saw Lazarus come out of the tomb. He said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. A prayerless person is a vulnerable person. A strong believer, a fruitful, anointed man or woman of God is a very vulnerable person. A prayerful person is a victorious person. 
The other Gospels add something to the words of Jesus here that most manuscripts say he probably said. I'm not exactly sure why Luke left this out, but Mark doesn't and Matthew doesn't. And he adds this, "For for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, there's a part of you that will always be vulnerable to temptation. And then 41, Jesus goes to the trenches. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. And here's the prayer that gets you through these intense cosmic invasions by darkness. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Will you say the yellow with me out loud? Yet not my will, but yours be done. Notice what Jesus knows. Notice what Jesus knows. Notice the pressure he even faces. Notice his wise, clear words given to his followers about what needs to be done when hell comes. I didn't say when you're feeling blue. I said when hell comes. Is my prayer altar battle ready? What do you do? Verse 40. What do you do? You pray. Now, we're going to see what kind of prayer. Look at the kind of prayer Jesus prayed. My will is being pulled, and even the Son of God, my will is being pulled toward wanting to cave on this. I'm even asking you, knowing that it doesn't fit the Bible, I was born for this, and yet it's so much, I'm asking you, is there another way? That's how intense that was. What to do? Pray. Why? So that you don't fall into temptation. Or if you're already in it, that you don't fall. Notices verses 42 through 44. Jesus had a surrendering to the will of God. There is a truly perfect prayer that's totally complete. It speaks of love's submission. It spells out sin's defeat. The only prayer that understands the purpose of our pain is spoken from a heart, which is the perfect prayer of faith. Not my will, but thine be done. In these seven simple words, the victory's won. The perfect prayer of God's anointed son. Not my will but thine be done. Jesus is modeling the kind of prayer that it's battle ready. In verse 43, look what happens to people. Look what, look what happens. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And you say, well, Pastor Tim, that's what my, I've, been, I've put that order in a long time ago and I've not seen the angel yet. I'll even take Clarence. Is Clarence still around? I'll even take Clarence. I'll take, I'll take Clarence. In verse 44, look, Jesus, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Again, we talked about praying prayers, and we talked about meeting with God. Now, this is throwing your whole life on the altar and holding on for dear life, saying, God, your will be done. In anguish, he prayed more, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Look what's going on. And he's told them hours before, this is coming. And Peter says, look, 
you weren't the only one on the water, remember? He didn't say that, but you know what I mean? Verse 45, when he rose from prayer, Jesus, he went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Would you read out loud verse 46? Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Okay? So they come, they arrest Jesus, they lead him away. The disciples are scattered. Peter follows at a distance, and we know that someone approaches him and says, hey, you're one of his disciples. He says, no, I'm not, right? And then later, someone says, I know you're one of his disciples. I saw you. No, I'm not. And then verse 59 is the third. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. They say the way that the people in the north of Israel spoke gave them away from where they were from. It's kind of like people will know where we're from when we use the word jeet. Jeet yet? They don't say that in Santa Monica. You know, one of the only places in the whole world where they call a ski hat, a winter hat, a toboggan is in the Appalachian region of the world. Go, go anywhere and say you're wearing a toboggan. Dude, you're over here, dude, toboggan man, right? You go anywhere else, you better call that a ski. They're going to think you're a hillbilly if you don't. Because toboggans are the things you ride in down the hill in the snow. Peter, you sound like you just said jeep. Verse 60. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Mark adds and Matthew adds, and he called curses down on himself. And he probably said a few too. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine? The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now, I used to read that and think Peter probably thought, oh, you know what I think? I think Jesus is trying to save him right there. Not save his soul, his soul save, but he's trying to say, I to, like, not I told you like putting him down, but like, remember what I told you. Even though hell's coming, you're still in the plan of God. I told you this so that you would not, remember? Peter remembered the word of the Lord before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And verse 62 shows you shows you that when Peter said, if all turn away, I won't, that he meant it in the depth of his heart. He wasn't a bad man. He was just a man leaning on his own loyalty, his own strength, and his own experience. And he wasn't wise enough or humble enough at that point to take the Lord at his word and, and run to the bronze altar like Jesus, get in the trenches. Look at his heart. He's, it says he went outside and he wept bitterly. He didn't weep because he got caught. He wept because he wielded in, in an area of, where he wanted to be loyal to the Lord. He wasn't sorry because he got caught. He was sorry because he allowed his pride to capture him. Is my prayer altar battle ready is the question this morning. The next 40 days, Peter would experience a resurrection restoration. Jesus would make sure Peter personally knew he, wouldn't be, he wasn't finished with him. Jesus had prayed that this stony, self-reliant leader 
would become a fragile stone and would become fervent about following the Lord as a humbled, not a humble, a humbled servant. Historians say that the crucifixion of Christ was probably somewhere between 27 and 33 AD. Now, 30 some years later, Simon Peter is writing two letters to the church in Rome and to the believers scattered all over the empire because he knows his time is short. Silas, Paul's partner, is now with Peter, which tells me this. Paul has probably already been executed. And now Silvanus, is his name in the King James, Silas, who was with Paul, is now with Peter. And Peter's writing from prison, and he's writing to the church. He's been preaching this message for three decades. And Peter never left the part out about him denying the Lord. Because Mark followed Peter around for probably 20 years, listening to Peter tell the stories of Jesus. And he never edited out his part where he fell. His brothers and sisters are under severe persecution from the beast kingdom, under the pressure of the fiery trials. And Peter calls them to faith. He calls them to faithfulness. And he reminds them of their final reward, that they have a living hope. And the living Lord is coming back for them. And so he calls them to love each other fervently, to comfort each other fervently. But then he gets real close, and he ends his letter with a warning. And he doesn't sugarcoat it. He's not superficial about how victorious we are just because we have been saved and we know the scriptures. He's telling them they're in a war, a war against the cosmic evil beast kingdom, which in their day was animating through a power-hungry madman by the name of Nero, but would carry on through the ages even to our day and beyond our day until the end of days. That there is a satanic kingdom that's at war with you, at war with me, at war with the church of Jesus Christ, and we better know it. There is a war with the saints who hold to the testimony of Jesus and keep the commandments of God. Hear this. Peter, a humbled servant with great wisdom, because the humility of wisdom comes with a fresh, powerful anointing on it. It started when Jesus looked at him, restored him, and said, so if you really love me, just take care of my sheep. And so in the last letters that he writes, he is taking care of the sheep. And here is what he says to you and to me, pastors, leaders, missionaries, healers. You have so much faith, people don't even need faith. They just use yours and everybody gets healed. You're so anointed that we almost think you're Jesus. Here's a word for you and me. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Notice this is not only an attitude. This is the description of prayer. Verse 6 is a description not only of an attitude, but I also think it's an attitude about prayer. And it's this. Would you read it out loud with me? I'll tell you where we are. We're at 1 Peter 5. Yellow, read it out loud with me, please. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. How do you know 
If you're on the brink of a big fail, answer, you mostly don't. How do you know when you're on the brink of a big fail, you mostly don't? Because most believers who have a big fail weren't ready for it. But here are some things that I believe give us good indications that we need to hear Jesus not calling Simon's name but ours. Number one, let's go to the next one. My Christian life is more prayerless than prayerful. Billy Graham said, Satan will contest every hour you spend in the Bible and in prayer. Simon didn't realize what was coming. How do you know when you're on the brink of a big fail? You don't, but here's the clue. Prayerless more than prayerful. Two, my purity before Christ can be bought with a price. And most people today are selling out for at a reduced price. We're not suffering and battling against sin to the shedding of blood. We just get offended by another believer and say the heck with it. I didn't get the ministry I wanted. I didn't get the recognition I wanted, so I'm out of here. I'm out of it. God didn't, where's God? Why, where, when? I've been, I've been going to church for three weeks now, and I'm really sincere. I've been asking God for a holy man of God to become my life partner. And since not... I'm going back to my friends in low places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases them blues away. Because I'll be okay. My purity before Christ can be bought with a price. How do I know I need to hit the altar and get real and honest and broken and humble under God's hand? Made me think about a song Michael W. Smith wrote a long time ago. Guarded and cynical now, can't help but wondering how my heart evolved into a rock beating inside of me. So I reel. Such a stoic ordeal. Where's that feeling that I don't feel? Under a lavender moon, so many thoughts consume me. Who dimmed that glowing light that once burned so bright in me? Is this a radical phase, a problematical age that keeps me running from all that I used to be? Is there a way to return? Is there a way to unlearn that carnal knowledge that's chipping away at my soul? I've been gone too long. Will I ever find my way home? There was a boy who had the faith to move a mountain. And like a child, he would believe without a reason. Without a trace, he disappeared into the void, and I've been searching for that missing person. He used to want to try to walk the straight and narrow. He had a fire, and he could feel it in his marrow. It's been a long time, and I haven't seen him lately, but I've been searching for that missing person. Is your prayer altar battle ready?
Three, my perception of Jesus' glory is no longer a pearl in my heart. How do you know when you're ready to make a big crash? You don't. But here are some indicators. Meeting with Jesus in prayer, again, I keep repeating this over and over. There's a difference between praying prayers and meeting with God. The difference is this. It keeps your heart right, your vision on the Lord, and him the pearl of grace price that you won't cast before swine. So let's allow this wise and seasoned and suffering warrior saint warn us. Verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Would you read this out loud with me? Your Stop. What's that word before the period? Say it again. What? Devour. What are we supposed to do? Remember last week I talked about the cultural tide and convicting scriptures? And, 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 and see, what Peter was doing was what Isaiah, he said, no, I'm going to flee on my horse. I'm ready to die with you. And then he couldn't watch with the Lord for an hour. Peter says it's a battle with the devil. He's seeking and roaming, looking for somebody. Let me tell you who he's looking for. He's looking for somebody who's too busy who's too strong to fall. The devil is looking for people who are doctrinally sound, too doctrinally sound to keep a close eye, to study, to show themselves approved, to rightly divide the word of truth in the land of seducing spirits and doctrines taught by demons. He's looking for someone with a rusty Excalibur to do what? To devour. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Resist him, shouts the humble servant through the ages. Because it's going to be a long time before the sun shines in the Roman Empire and the SON has such influence that Constancy says, let's have Christmas. Let's end on a positive note. I want to focus the remainder of this sermon on the one who prayed Peter through. Hey! Here's what's going to happen to you. And if it wouldn't be for my prayers, you'd be right next to Judas hanging from that tree. But I've prayed for you. Let's focus on the champion. Let's focus on the real intercessor. Our true prayer warrior. Peter is speaking from experience. He says, set your eyes above the, the fire. Set your eyes above the, the satanic trappery of the devil to the one who defeated everything that the devil threw at him. 
Remember the one who prayed me back from the pit of despair and the dungeon of depression. The one who lifted Peter back up from wallowing in sorrow of disappointment, from denying the one he promised to love even more than his life, and he meant it. To those who will make their prayer altar battle ready, here's a promise for you. To those who will shake themselves from Satan's spellbinding sidebars that take you away from your prayerful life. Here's a promise to you who sit at the crossroads and you're being wooed to surrender your purity in your heart. To be bound by a seducing offer of the renegade dark prince who tells the same lie to you that he's told since the garden. You surely shall not die. Here's a promise to those who used to see Jesus as the most beautiful sight in your eyes and heart, but have allowed your vision to grow strangely dim. Here's a promise for those who want to shake themselves free and flee to the trenches and run swiftly to the altar of God and cry out, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Here's the promise. Take it from a man who went from the pit of despair, who fell and was prayed back up and stood up with boldness and preached that salty fisherman with the power of heaven surging out of him. And in one sermon, 3,000 people got saved. Come on, somebody. Here's the verse. Verse 10. Bam. Say it with me. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand, please? Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is praying for us. Come on. Jesus is, I'm not done. I'm just getting started. Jesus is praying for us. Robert Murray McShane said this. Listen to this. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Come on, somebody. You say, well, if Jesus is praying for me, I'm good. No, 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 no. If we continue to stay at that altar, an altar of prayer in the presence of the Lord, God can make us what he promised to make us like he did with, with Simon. I'm going to open these altars. I'm going to open these altars for those of you who have been shaken to awaken, those of you who are strong now, and you don't know what tomorrow brings. You know what? You got out, you, you, you won the battle in Normandy. You know where you, you didn't know you were going? You were going into the forests of Verdun. You were going to fight the Battle of the Bulge. We don't know what's around the bend. Is your prayer altar battle ready? I want to close with this quote from Swindoll about the great restoration grace of Jesus. And if this reminds yourself of you, take it to heart and find a place. I'd like these altars filled, not for my ego, although I need it. No, no, I don't. not for that, but for us to just get sober, get vigilant and say, Lord, 
I don't know what I'm incapable of, and I don't know what I'm capable of, but I know one thing. I don't have the strength unless you're strengthening me. Here's what Swindoll said. If anyone had disqualified himself, now here comes Susie, right? Now this has been going on since I've been pastoring here since 1739. Susie is probably the greatest Christian I know, and I always want Susie praying for me, and here she comes. Susie's getting a running start to the bronze altar, aren't you? When we get to heaven, first thing I'm going to do after I see my dad, Susie and I are going to run all over the hills of heaven together, right? Susie Myers never missed her building fund commitment. I'm bragging on you. I love you. If anyone had disqualified himself as the leader of the Christians, it was certainly the one who denied his relationship with Jesus when the situation grew tense. Who would want an emotional, vacillating firebrand to lead the people of God then? Jesus. Jesus did. After Peter came to recognize his own inadequacy apart from Christ, he became a rock-solid leader. And as his story unfolds in the book of Acts, we can clearly see that when Peter fixed his eyes on Jesus and followed him, others followed too, and they followed by the thousands. Lord, Make my heart an altar that's battle-ready and strengthen the saints today as we give ourselves over to you in humility and devotion. May the Holy Spirit empower every humble, seeking saint in Jesus' name.